0: Hi, it's Wednesday and I'm trying to always squeeze in a time slot, see if we can push this over. I see this week is uh Marshal, that's a biggie. Now it sounds like I'm doing a series on Big rabbits in Poland because by the time you finish we did the Marshal and the John Chalkina and the Ramon and I don't know who else, but it was such an era. And anyway, I'm just going by what I look at the uh, site schedules. This week is the uh, Marshal Shlomo Luria, who is uh, probably to you just one of those Maha people, one of the big rabbis in Eastern Europe long ago, a million of those, but actually the Marshal, who lived in the 1500s, is probably the most interesting um, of all the big rabbis in Poland, the golden age of Poland, at least one we know about, let's put it that way. I mentioned last week, I think, in the Marshal, that you don't get too much of a personal life knowledge from sometimes what they write, but in the case of Marshal, you do, because he wore everything on the sleeve, baby, everything on the sleeve. So we're talking about somebody who was uh who lived in in the sixteenth century the fifteen hundreds, uh not such a long life, uh, fifteen ten to fifteen seventy three, I think. So he was like sixty three old sixty-three when he died, that's not so long. And uh, all of his life in Poland, East, eastern Poland I might say. And uh just a very, very interesting uh personality in in many respects. And uh, a, a certain kind of significance in Jewish history, uh, but also a lot of frustration. A lot of frustration. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, the Marshal was one of these people born to a Chashua family and all that. You don't have big rabbis in Eastern Europe if they don't come from the right family. A poor little schnook who rises just on the brains that you don't get in the old days in Poland. I, I doubt if you get too much now. nowadays, maybe, but uh, certainly not then. Uh, so he came from a family, he's a brisker, uh, you'll be surprised to hear that the Marshal, who was born in Brisk and later was a there, he might be the first, I mean, it's going to sound funny, he might be the first one who started the Litvish Alumnus, you know, or the Lithuania's headquarters of heavy learning, I think. But anyway, uh, here's somebody living in the 1500s, he's born in Brisk, um, What's different about him, and he's always going to be a little bit different, uh, otherwise we wouldn't be interested in him, is that he goes to the other side of Poland, to Poznan, which is in western Poland, to learn by his grandfather, who was a big raw, a yekka, uh, uh, what was his name, Klober? It's a Klober, who was from Germany, you know, from eastern Germany, who moved and became a rabbi in Poland. So it's not the typical. He's not learning. He's not in Poland learning from another Polish rabbi. He's in Poland learning. From his grandfather, who is a, uh, from the Rhineland, you know, from the super Yakisha, but nevertheless, as they say, became a rub in Poland, it was a big Tom Chachim, etc. etc. uh because, And he learns many years by his grandfather. So, because of that, uh, he he's, has a little bit of a different outlook than the contemporaries of his, all of who learned in Polish yeshivas and places like that. Um, now, when he's 25, he comes back to Brisk. And he marries the rabbi's daughter there. I told you, all the elites marry, you know. And he's a Rosh shiva in press a Magachir, as we would say, for the next nine years. So what would that dude be from the age of 25 to 34? She's a hot young, young item. Uh, he's the Rav's son-in-law. And therefore, naturally, he's a Magachir in the, the shiva there. Uh, but on the other hand, nepotism sometimes works. No, he was a bar haki, And uh, he starts to apply what he learned with his grandfather, which was um, not the Pilpul, as they called it that time, the Chalukim, not that style, but just heavy-duty eun. That's going to be, in my opinion, the hallmark of the Marshal. You know, very tedious, very close, heavy-work eun. You know, what does the Gemara say? What does this Rishon say? What does that Rishon say? What this Achronachron work? Work everyone out according to Rashi. Work everything according to the Rajwa, You know, it's, it's not easy work. It's a lot of uh, pencil and paper stuff. Uh, to get Clark each and every opinion, and then at the end, figure out who's right and who's wrong and all that. It's uh, not your typical style in the yeshivas. But that's who he was. And as they say before, he was a hot magachir in Brisk, long before the modern Brisk. And then at the age of 40, what was he, he was 34 years old, so that's young, age of 34... He was elected to be the rabbi Ostro, which was um, a community in Central Poland at that time. Let's put this, which what we call Volin. This is sort of like the eastern part of Central Poland. Not that it means anything to you. We just had a uh, yard site in my shul of uh, the Schlossom, a uh, Mr. Jake Schuchman of a shulman. He was always boasting he's a Volin, or no, I don't think anybody knew what that means. Uh, and uh, the king of Poland made him the chief rabbi of Volynia. So those, he was of this elite family, like a shulman. Shachna situation to some degree. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second. And uh, he was for nine years. So, from the age of forty of 34 to the age of 43, he has that opinion, uh, you know, that position. Um, now, all this time, wh- who are we dealing with? Somebody who's a rov and a reshiva. I mean, that's all these people were. So, uh, and a writer. So, uh, as a rov, he's going to be, you know, into halakha l'maisa. And as a Magashir, he's got to be into the Lambdas. But he's not going to be one of these people in which there are two separate zones. This is what makes him interesting. In the Yeshiva world, in general, certainly in Poland and Eastern Europe and afterwards, a lot of times you divide it up, um, you, you know, you learning into two different zones, A and B. One is Lambdas, and especially people in those days, the Chilukim that we talked about here, I know, I spoke about a number of times, And that was, so to speak, an exercise in intellectuality. And then totally separate from that is the world of Halakha And that's why you read some of these people, and you know, you read what they write when when they do Chidushim or something like that, and it reads very different than what you read when they read Shalas and shubas. and that's because there are two different zones and two different ways of approaching things. In the world of Olamdas, you can speculate all you want. In the world of Halakha it's it's much more confined. You know, there are certain authorities, certain approaches you follow, um, and uh, you can't be quite as speculative. Anyway, in the case of the... Now, once in a while, by the way, you'll find somebody who brings the lumdus over into the world of the Shalas and Shubas. Then they become very interesting. You know, like they took the Yeshivaism and stuck it into the world of Shalas and Shubas. of Yehuda, for example, comes to mind, and some others. But in the case of Marshal, again, I'm just giving you my opinion, it's the other way around. He took the world of the, the Shalas and Chubas of the Halacha, and put it into the world of the Lumdus. Uh, which is just interesting, he was a very, so if you went to Ishir, as best as I can tell, uh, what they did was, not ask, you know, fancy kashas and fancy truths and that sort of thing, uh, and duke, minrash, or whatever, but, uh, you know, let's uh, do the gemar here, and then go through the sigur, where else is in shahs, and then, uh, you know, how many rishonim are we dealing with that deal with this, and uh, how many achronim also, and, you know, let's, uh, you know, dissect each and every one, and, uh, you know, let's work through the Gemara according to the way the Rajvah understood it. And let's work through the Gemara the way the Rajvah understood it, and Tosus, and so on and so forth. So it's tedious, heavy work, uh, but what you're trying to do is get to the MS. I'm serious now, I'm reading the MS. And, you know, uh, and and see, what shall I say, you know, what the different opinions are. And in the case of the Marshal, then you, uh, in the Sheer, you uh, evaluate, you critique each and every swara. So you don't simply say like this, oh, Tosa said it, oh, if toast said it, that's it, The Rambam said it, that's it. But you say like this, I can just imagine the share there, you say, okay, what's the problem with the Rambo and Swara? Uh, did the Rambam make a mistake? Did Rashi make a mistake? Did Tosas make a mistake? Can we see something different? Is the swara a good swara? Is it dough cake? Um, and that becomes the hallmark of his approach, which is you don't care who said it, you uh, uh, you know you you um, evaluate the, uh, the theory on its own. That's uh, uh, very interesting. Now this wasn't the typical style at that time. Uh, after uh, so he got a big name as a chief also in Russia Russia, because wherever he goes, he makes the yeshiva. This is the golden age in Poland where the yeshivas were a lot, and you know, there was a middle class to support this kind of stuff, and so there were lots of students. And not everybody in Poland was in learning. Plenty of bombs also, but there were plenty of not. And then the last twenty years of his life, when he's about forty-three till he dies at the age of sixty-three, moves to Lublin. He was brought in to be a maggid in Lakewood, as we would say today, be a maggid shir in Panovich. Uh, who brought him in? Uh, Shalm Shachna, who I spoke about it last week or two weeks ago, something like that. Who was the king and the powerful guy? And he had the super Lamdashi Yeshiva, and that Yeshiva was white hot. People were coming there from all over the place. And I guess you'd say like this the Marshal already had a, had a reputation as somebody who's, of course, he made a Rav, so they brought him in to be uh, the Rav there. I don't understand exactly how that works because they always write that he was brought in to be the Rav and, and a, a Rosh Yeshiva in Lublin. But Shom Shachna was the Rav of Lublin, um, and maybe that was a little bit of a problem. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's, he's there as a high rabbinical position, whatever, however it exactly worked out. And um, the problem goes as follows. Within a short time, you saw that Shamshaq and the Marshal have two different approaches to lambdas, two very different approaches to learning, um, and it turned into a big fight. So many are familiar with the uh, famous story of the fight between the Nitziv and the Beis Alevi and Very similar here. You know, Shom Shafna obviously would represent Mr. Lambdus, Mr. Pilpul, Mr. Chilukim, as they called it at that time, the extreme Pilpul, and the Marshal, very different. And I can just imagine that what happened was you had a big yeshiva, hundreds hundreds of guys, the smartest guys everywhere, and, you know, one group is drawn to Russia Hashiva A, and the other group is drawn to Rosh Hashiva B, and you have all the material for a civil war. And that's what happened. And the result, and what happens is that, uh, you know, the students themselves formed the two teams, the Yankees and the Orioles, and the Yankees diss the Orioles, and the Orioles diss the Yankees. And each one says, Yurashiva doesn't know what he's talking about. And he said, Yurashiva doesn't know what he's talking about. And he ended with a bad situation. At least, one thinks a bad situation. That is what happened to the Marshal, And so for the last 20 years of his life, uh, he started out being, as they say, one of the Maggachirs in Lakewood, and eventually had to leave and form his own yeshiva in Lakewood, if you follow. In other words, he formed a competing yeshiva with Shom shachna in lublin and uh there's a lot of politics afterwards and he complains a lot in his um tshuvahs, uh that the politics is driving him crazy even though he himself was a very critical person and a very sharp you know tongue and all the rest of it but he didn't like it when they did it to him and, and, and he, he says you know they're uh, they they're, they're driving me they say they're driving me nuts uh the he corresponded with um a cousin, the Ramah, who had been the son in law of Shalm We talked about that. But uh they had their own relationship to Marshal and the Ramah, very interesting one. And uh in the Chubas of the Ramon and the Chubas of Marshal, there are a lot of overlapping ones, meaning if you look in the Chubas Ramah, you'll see some of more correspondence with him and the Marshal, and you see these same letters appearing in the Chubas Marshal. And I remember one of me says that, uh, you know, uh, they're driving me nuts, these other students. It's it's, it's very well known in Jewish history. Avonah Sena Rabim, Memeridas, Talmini, Hamorim, and be these students and the other sheep were driving me crazy. The some both Botcham, Gvuritz, and Zokin, and Beno, and they rely relying on Sham Shachna to get me. Hey, Motsino, see Osi, They're driving me crazy. I'm and they're killing my health. And it could be that, um, that he died young from the strain, from the stress. Because 63 is not old. Uh, it's very likely. But I could be wrong, you know. All I know is, they say he set up his own separate Kehla, so to speak, within Lublin, with his own synagogue. It's a famous shul. It had a funny uh, shape to it and all this. Uh, They're and, and his own yeshiva building. Probably the shul was the yeshiva building. And so if, if you lived in Lublin in the 1550s and 1560s, in uh, and, and those times, it was a lot of tension and politics. Between Yeshiva A and Yeshiva B, this is a very interesting human story, um, and that's where he remained uh, to the end of his life. Notice that's that that's where he died in in, in Lublin. So he started in Brisk, and then he went to Ustra, and then he went to Lublin. That's the biography. I like to get the chronology straight up here. Now the Marshal, you can talk about for six hours. I always say that, but in his case it is sixty hours because a uh, very complex and very interesting person. Uh, And as you see when I'm describing, somebody flourished in the golden age of Polish jewelry, smack in the middle of the 1500s. And um, I would just point out, because the truth is I have to go give a class in a little while, in Scholl. Um, I would just point out two things of many, maybe three. The Marshal obviously, is most famous for what he wrote. Uh, Most people don't know what I just said. And uh, when you think of Marshal, so I guess... You think of the stuff in the back of the Gemara, they called the Chochma Shlomo. And then you think of the Yamshol Shlomo, if you know what that is. And then you think of the Chua, Shalas and Chubas Marshal, which are famous. Um, I spoke already about the Chochma Shlomo, I think, earlier. That's when they started to print the Gemaras, and the Gemaras had a lot of mistakes in them from the printing. Especially Kinshom Shachna is the one who put in the gear system, and the Marshal, obviously figured he made a lot of mistakes. You know, they were Barplukta's and uh, Chacham HaShalom has a lot to do with that, that, you know, that the way the Gemara is being printed at the direction of Shalom Shachna is full of a lot of errors in the gears between Rashi and Tos and the Gemara. That's one thing. Um, but the Yom Shalom is really interesting because, as I said before, the Marshal was really somebody who in his world view, the Gemara and the Halacha kind of come together. Uh, there shouldn't be two separate zones. And he was a big critic uh, first of all, he's a critic, you know. He criticized everybody. Rashi, Tosa, Rambaum, you name it, you know, that's who he is. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, he recognized, as others did in the 16th century, that the number of books in his farm got out of hand as beyond control of the average person. I mean, literally 99% to know what's flying the same way this is true today, meaning, um, if you ask somebody, how should I put this? Why is everybody go like to Mishnah Borah? The answer is you got to go by somebody. You see? You, you understand my point? got to go by somebody. There's so many swarms out there. There's this opinion, this opinion, that opinion. What am I supposed to do? What's the average person supposed to do? Ain't too many of Adioses running around. They have the whole thing running through your head. And so you got to say, we're going to go with one POSIG or something like that. Or the Chazanish in Israel or something like that. Meaning, uh, so swarming case when When scholarship. Uh, flourishes and more and more sperm come out, especially on, on matters of Allah, all the rest of it, it becomes beyond the control even of a Rav in a Kehillah to know what to do because there are too many opinions out there. So, what happened... By the way, this is true in secular science as well. And so, what, and science is. And so what happens is every once in a while comes a time in which it becomes necessary for a Sikum, for somebody to sort of summarize uh, you know, what's the field and where things are holding and then people can access that summary. Uh, you can criticize, not criticize. This is the way it goes in the sciences. Because there's too much uh, research out there, a, a, as the expression goes. So, by the time you get to the... Uh, I mean, the bomb operated out of this, uh, you know, frame of mind. So did the tour. And by the time you get to the 16th century, to the 1500s, this feeling was very uh, strong. Too many sperm out there. And that's why you find a whole bunch of people living in the same century trying to write a Shulchan Aruch, if I can use that terminology. As we all know, of Karo wrote the Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosem Shulchan Aruch, but the Ramah also wrote a Shulchan Aruch. he just modified it once he found out what Rehosef Karo did, and uh, the Levush did the same thing, and I'm sure there are a couple other people that don't jump to mind, the Marshal is one of them, okay? The Marshal is one of them. However, he was a huge critic of all the other attempts. And the reason is uh, very interesting, I don't have time to do this right with you today, but if anybody's barhachi, if you want to do something about the Marshall, read the intro to the Yom Shul Shlomo. It's extremely, extremely interesting and very thought provoking. Uh, because what he did was he said like this: You can't uh, do what Yosef Karo. He's a big critic of Yosef Karo. Can't do what he did because he goes by people. I think many know. that Rabbi Yosef Karo said like this: Whenever things get too complicated go by the big three. The Rambam, the Rush, and the Riff. Uh, and two out of three even. Right? Now, w- why does he do that? The answer is, you got to do something. Like I said before, you got to get some practical, uh, you got to go to Mishnivore, you have to pick somebody to go by. Uh, you can't just say, there's f- uh, ten different opinions out there, you got to have a policy. Uh, maybe I'm not making myself clear. Suppose a lady calls up Rav says, you know, I have a flesh-shaped spoon that fell in the milk of a pot, and so on and so forth. So, what the rabbi, if he's a big scholar, can say, goes, oh, that's a very interesting question. You know, there are seven sheets on this, and, uh, you know, the shach says to do this, and the marshals are to do that, and the mission of may say there's something else, and the chacham says, ladies, I know what you're talking about. You understand? Uh, just tell me, <laughs> is it kosher or is it have the kasher the dish or not? You get what I'm saying? The desire for halachic clarity is a balabatish thing all over the world, in every culture. I got to know what the bottom line is. Don't give me the theory of it. Um, on the other hand, and that was how Car seemed to have operated, you know, you have to, you have to have the Rambam, the Rush, and the others. I, what if the Rambam and the Rush, for example, or the Riff, say one thing, and Rabbeinu Tom, and I don't know, you know, uh, something like that, or a Truma, Truma says something different. Uh, well, Car said, yes, well, tough luck, I made a rule, the big three, the Rambam, the, the, the Rush, and the, uh, and the Riff comes along to my and says, who gave you the right to make a big three? You just make that up out of your own head. And second of all, who says the Rambam and the, Rav from the the Rush and the River right? You have to see what they said. Each and every case has to be evaluated the Savara, when it makes sense. The only thing that's supreme is the Gemara itself. After the Gemara, you, every reason starting from Rashi on, you have to evaluate. Is what they say makes sense, not makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, then you reject it as the Halakha Lama. If it makes sense, if the argumentation is there, it's there. If it's dochik, you don't follow it. If it's not dochik, you do follow it. That is a huge enterprise, my friends. Now, go write a shulchanach like I just described. He undertook to do that. And he has this long introduction in the Yom Shor Shlomo, which is so interesting. If I had the time, I would read it uh, for you. But I, obviously, we don't have the time for this. Uh, but he, you know, very thoughtfully, is critiquing what the others are doing. And he says, the only way to do it right is to go through each and every sugya, gemara by gemara, page by page, and then bring down every single shita out there, every recent and achron up to his time, and then, what's the right word, uh, uh, evaluate each and every thing they say, no matter who it is, and out of all the different opinions, match it to what the gemara says, and come out in the end, who you and who you think is the right uh, 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 way to go, what tahalach is, and tell why you think that. So give all your argumentation. Meaning he's a perfectionist. And uh, therefore, there's no such thing as the big two out of three, three out of four, and all the rest. And could be the Rambam, the the, the Riff, and the Rush say one thing. At least the Maharil might say something different. You know, in and well, he's like this. You know, the Maharil is right. <laughs> you know, the others are wrong. Uh, it's like that. And here's why he say it. Not, you know, not simply he's saying, I think this is right, this is wrong. But explain what it is. Well, guess what? You go that way. It's okay with me, but it takes forever. Uh, you know, the art school has seventy-two volumes in his system. I'm serious. I'm not being funny. You'll need, you know, 100, 200 volumes at least to go through the Um uh, And he himself started to do this. What they call the Yamsho Uh Like I say before, it's a very, very interesting introduction. Everybody should read it. You'll have fun if you can follow it, all the rest of it. And even he says that uh, you know he made him, it, it, it was too much for one person to do. I remember he says, uh that Shlom ibush ki lo case." was right when it says you know you start writing too much there's no end to it. Uh, and uh, and he says over here that even me once I think he you know what did he do? Yamshul like six six the seven masechtas you know Baba Kama and getting kedushin of Amos Tubis and one or two others. And I remember when he gets to Chulin or something, he says, you know, I'm never gonna finish this. Um, because he says that uh, here, uh, here I, I see a footnote somewhere. Hizirachok gave the gave the, the gave the warning and kates for and he was opposed to Melch to people who write all these for like I'm doing that they want to do a complete and thorough job to answer all the questions so there shouldn't be anything unclear. and to bring all your proofs which is the right one, to Ain't case the Dover vanilla, it's too long to do. The quantity is too great. Befrat Ish Kamoni, especially somebody like me, Lahavi, call Hadeos. You know, in other words, you want to do a thorough encyclopedic job, you've got to bring all the sheetas. That my Yamshar Shlomo and Baba is like the size of a book. Listen to this, and then I started to do the Yamshar Shlomo and Yavamis. Says I chavetz It took me two years and only got halfway through. When I got to Tzuvis, it took me a whole year uh, and just to get two prakim. Novel t he says. In other words, he's a perfectionist and very thorough scholar, you know, and, and, and thoroughness is, is the hallmark, and it's, it's just too much, you know, same, because you write and write, write, and it's too much for people to read, and, you know, you, and, and you know, the, the Shas is endless, so to speak, and how are you ever going to, how are you ever going to get this right? And mind you, this is a halacha safer. <laughs> and then, this a halacha book. So indeed, if you want to know what happens when the milk of a spoon falls in the pot, you're going to look him up and he'll say, well, there's so many machines, and here's what's wrong with this opinion, and here's what's right with that opinion, and they compare this to Gamar over here and all the rest of it. So he tried to bring the world to the lambda. What he did was not wrong. It's just a, a certain degree impossible, as he says. Now, the marshal lived in the 1500s in Poland. He wasn't a modern... Western scholar who would understand that the secret of success is to farm it out, baby, you knows I'll take your and spend 10 years on it, but you take Bubba Kam and spend 10 years on it, and you take Bubba Kama 10 years you have to have an old team together, like the art school put together the, 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 the Gemara, the Shas, you know, in which I participated in. But a little piece, you know, and this guy took a little piece, and this guy took a little piece. Nobody, he lived in the golden age of the old days, the great rabbis of old in which they wanted to write the whole Encyclopedia Britannica. I think, Rabbi Yosef Kaur wrote the whole doggone Britannica, the whole base Yosef, and the whole Shorach. The Ramah wrote the whole Ramah. You know, the Lavush wrote the whole Lavush. That, that's how people used to, the Rambam wrote the whole Ram. They didn't have a team. Uh, that was unknown once upon a time. You want to write the whole doggone thing. Well, it's okay with me, but nobody lives that long, you know, and, and, uh, and he admits it, you see? And so I guess he must have, uh, over the course of time, come to see, I, I see, you know, where Yosef Karr is coming from, although he never agreed with that approach of just simply to go by two out of three, or pick who you consider the greatest rabbis. So what I'm trying to get across is that the Marshal although he was super from, would be opposed to, uh, at least this is how he writes, would be opposed to the approach that so many have, which is to say like this, if the Vilna Gond said it, that's it. You know, like they do in Eretz Yisrael. Or if the Chazani said it, that's the Posigachron. There's no Posigachron by him. He wouldn't mind saying... Avad Yosef, by the way, he's like this. He wouldn't mind saying, you know, the Villanagan said this, but of course he's wrong because here you have a couch from this place and that place. And you can't say in the marshal. how can you say the is wrong? Do you know who you're talking about? Or anybody else? I remember Avad Yosef got angry because he said the Chazanish made a mistake in this place. Oh boy, they all got angry at him. You understand? That's the style of the Marshal, which is to go to the M-Islamito the way you see it. Do I know that this is the M-Islamito? I don't claim that, He says... I'll give it my best shot. When you read the Amshul Slum or anything I write, you have my best opinion. But at least I worked at it, and I'm and I'm saying why it's my opinion, not just take my opinion on it. So the 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 antithesis of what I would would be, if somebody today said, I possibly like the Marshall because he was the greatest rabbi in the 16th century. The Marshall would jump out of the grave and say, that's not how you do it. If what I said makes sense, if you learned through all the Gemaras, you went through the Sogi and all the rest of it, then fine. But if not, then say, I didn't get it right. But but, but you better be prepared to defend your, your, your opinion. That's what makes him so very interesting, as far as I can see. Um, now, of course, he died before, you know, he was only 63. He died before he could finish the whole thing. And nobody could have finished the whole thing. It would take uh, uh, many, many, many volumes, and nobody lives that long. So uh, it's this is a very interesting experiment in what I would say, perfectionism versus pragmatism. He represented the approach of perfectionism uh, but in the end, you know, he got <laughs> kind of had to admit it himself, that, you know, uh, um, life it doesn't allow for total perfectionism. And uh, that's just something to keep in mind whenever you see any halakha book. It's, it, to me, it's very, very interesting. Uh, in addition to the Yamsha Slama, which, of course, I'm sure many have looked at, and the Yamsha is, is indeed that way, isn't it? You know, uh, very detailed. Uh, I know, well, I think it says whatever. Uh, I've never heard of somebody using Yomshur Shlomo just as a straight, ha- uh, you know, halacha safer, But of course, it's written on the pages of the Gemara, so you don't even know where something is unless you go through the whole business. Um, but nevertheless, uh, in addition to that, he wrote many other little things. But the most interesting by far would be his and Shubis, which I think were probably published after he died. And uh, here's somebody who had a lot of talmidim. Uh, but like I said before, had a stormy and tempestuous career because you know. He, he, he was from Lakewood B, not Lakewood A, you know, and uh, you know, the students went back and forth. He's always complaining about, you know, my best students are being taken away by Shalm Shafna and corporate raids. But sometimes he says, I got a good student, uh, persuade him to go and learn my way, which drives the other yeshiva crazy. He says, the Yotsu Mikileim or something like that. So there's a lot of uh, personality stuff in there. Uh, I would simply, because of time, point to the marshal in one other very, very interesting way. And that's his attitude, uh, which in my opinion is a uh, very spitz, you know, very attitude uh, to Kabbalah. And that is that um, uh, there's a famous tshuva, number 98, where a guy asks him, do you do like the uh, Sephardim, like the Kabbalah, and do you put the filling on sitting down? And uh, which the Zohar says to do. And oh boy, oh boy, he goes to town in there. It's not a very, very long tshuva, you can look at it for yourself if you're interested where he says, uh "I'll read it to you very briefly because it's not that long." Ahuvi yedidi, Mordechai Tanquam shal ti osi al min hagim la hanich teflon shal yad bi yeshiva v'amida shara harbe menamadakin b'dikduki hanis la hanich teflon yad yeshiva. A lot of people like to find them do you know put the uh put the teflon sitting down. And he says, Dahubi chadasha mikarav bo, brosim mikam A lot of these guys are 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 you know rookies and just trying to be junior kabbalists. Lo yabit the barzahar they don't know what they're talking about and vlo yadu mosam avok kavarsa they have no idea what the Zar is el shakach matzib sivri rashi they just heard that the rashi shem ben yochai says to do it da ahuvi kol rabosi rabosi akadoshim all my rebbeim shesimshu gaoni olam they day learned by their rebbeim gaoni olam reis behem shlo gukach al kedivri atam aposkim so. This is exactly the Ashkenazi attitude towards new Kabbalistic ideas. It could say one thing or other in the Zohar or something like that, and then you say I like, guess, my grandfather, learned by the Chumash my grandfather put the Tzillin standing up, Chumash put the standing up, I don't want to hear that it's wrong. Right? Ben Yochai and even if Avshim Ben Yochai came here, Bet Ben Yochai the Tana, this is extreme, but we'll come here and say, change it, and follow what I say, lo Ashkachin. but we would not listen to him. That's quite a statement, you know. I'll tell you the truth. If Atana walked into my shul, the answer is I probably would listen to him. You know, Atana. But that's what he says. Ki barov Because when you go through shahs, we usually don't pass go like a b'shimin. You know, you go like a b'shim, you go like a b'shim, you know, and know, that sort of thing. Because shim y'chayz b'shim. And uh, he goes on to describe, you know, the, the sodos and all this kind of stuff, but don't get into all the rest of it. And, uh, uh, and he defends the Ashkenazic practice. The basic approach is that um, if, if our votes did this, it can't be wrong. You know what I'm saying? It does, doesn't make any sense. It reminds me, I think the Bible sitter, somebody says, you know, if you don't dive in a certain stuff, then your prayers don't get into heaven. Um, it says that somewhere. And uh, really? Sarashi prayed this way, or Tosa prayed this way, the prayers don't get into heaven? Counterintuitive. Makes no sense. You Understand, so the um, Ashkenazim, like the Marshal, were very into ancestor worship. You know, if the us did it, then that's it. Um, we come from the uh, disarmasora, as we say today, our Minhagim, and our Avos were famous and great people, and many of them were died out Kiddish Hashem, that sort of thing. And so, if they did it, then that's the way to do it. I, it says somewhere in the Gemara, or the Zohar, or somewhere else differently, uh, we don't challenge the authenticity of the Zohar, but that's not what we do, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, that's not what we do, we do like we always did, and this is why they wouldn't change the, uh, the davening, like the Rizal style, you know, like Nussel Svard, and this became sort of like the slogan of the Misnagdim. you might say later on, uh, two centuries later, uh, because this is what, this this is what we do, you understand, and, uh, did I tell you, sometimes you could take the extremes, did I tell you this story, I think I did, I was in London a couple months ago, and somebody told me a story there about a yakka from Golders Green. How's uh, it go? Who um, this back in the sixties? I think I was told. And his wife got real ill, and uh, real, real, you know, a real old school yekki. And um, they said, "Go ask the Lubavitcher Rebbe. he should dump her." And he said, "No, nah, I'm not into that." And they bugged him, bugged him, and he was a businessman, so he went to New York. It's in the sixties. He went to see Baba Rebbe. Baba Rebbe said, what's your wife's name? And all the rest of it, we'll pray for him. And she talked, got better. And uh, the friends then said, go thank him. Nah, don't do that. Eventually, they persuade him. Next time he was in New York in business, he went to see Lubavitch and uh, The story goes. And uh, the Rebbe said like this, I'm so happy to hear, because he wanted to thank him for dominating for it. And he said, I'm happy to hear that she recovered. If you want to take my advice, the proper thing to do is from now on light one extra uh, candle on Friday night. You know, because of this event. At the end, because I guess, nope, that's not my Minig. <laughs> his wife just came close to death. That's not my Minig. Uh, that became like the Marshal. You know, so this, this, this is what we do. He even says, this is his idea of archaeology. He says, uh, where was it again? Did uh, I ask my uh, Rebbeim or something like that? And even the Truma Adishim, who died in 1460. Here it is at the end. Ode Omer Lacha. I'll read you the last two paragraphs. It's very interesting. Ahuvi, my friend, don't get involved with these um, new Fummies who want to change everything to uh, Kabbalistic uh, in practice. These people try to introduce Kabbalistic things as if they know what they're talking about. So his argument is that most of these people want to introduce new Menagam, or Amaratam, And Amaratim in Nister. Halavai they should know something in Niggler. and here he quotes the famous that one of the Balitosas said, after he learned over Kabbalah, his ben yomo. They asked him what is your cavano when you die And he said, My is die of an eight year old, you know? a Binyomo. benyomo Michami I asked my Rebbe, who asked his Rebbe, who asked his Rebbe, and all this, and the Trumas audition did it standing up. So that's what we do. You know, so it's like saying, this is what Rashi did. And so in this regard, now by the way, the Marshal was a Makubal, and he did know Kabbal well, and he knew the Zohar and all that kind of stuff. He's not like the others. But, uh, as a matter of fact, but nevertheless, he was, that's in theory, that's not what you do in practice. Marshal was a Makubal as opposed to philosophy, in his letters to the ramal he criticizes the is very famous. The hours late, so I don't have time to go into this. Maybe some other time. He criticizes the ramal in his opinion, Marshal, and they were friends. But he was the kind of friend that is very sharp critic. You have to have a you have to have a good friendship to be able to take a sharp criticism. But the ramal was mellow, you know. The ramal was very mellow; he could handle it. And um, the Marshal says, "I hear you into philosophy, and you quoted Aristotle and all the rest of it." And that's terrible, and because uh, you see, it was against Chachub uh, and against the philosophy, all the rest of it. And the Ramal answered, I didn't really put, Aristotle quoted from the Mar Nebuchem, and I only learned Mar Nebuchem on Shabbos, and get off my back, and so forth. So, you know, they had these, uh, shall I say, friendly quarrels, you know, sharp but friendly quarrels, as you could have between uh, cousins and friends. Basically, the Ramon's attitude was to the Ram I'm sorry, the Marshall's attitude to Ramal, which is very funny, is... You know, you actually know how to learn, unlike everybody else in this generation. That's why I have tinas on you when you do something wrong. Meaning meaning the highest madrigal friendship by me is I criticize you. That's that's interesting. Not many people have uh, relationships like that, right? Yeah. That the highest madrigal friendship is that I can criticize you. The other people are beneath my contempt. <laughs> you understand? So uh, they had a lot of these like the little uh, spats going back and forth. On the other hand they cooperated with each other you know, You see in the tubes, even when they disagreed and uh, if you take the trouble to read from the Shubhas Marshal, I don't know if anybody can do that uh, there was a guy back in the 1930s named Horowitz who put out an English volume long, long, long ago I saw it, you used to see it long ago The Response of Solomon Luria in which he uh, took, put in English a lot of these uh, at least the Shiloh part they never know how to do the Lumbus part but the Shiloh part and they're uh, extremely interesting and, and revelatory. He's got some interesting stuff about Hanukkah also. By the way, in the since the is around the corner, it, I just happened to be, you know, in coincidence, something came up in Shul yesterday, two days ago, and I remember, who was I talking, Mayra Neuberger, I remember I said, I was trying to remember the name of the book, the Kava Yashar. you know, the famous Musa book, super heavy, uh, scary Musa book. So the Kava Yosha has a chapter about Hanukkah, but she says some unusual things, and he's talking about the Kedusha of the Oros, and, you know, if you look at the at the lamp while it's burning, the menorah, then you uh, have big hasagas and things like that, really. Uh, it's in uh, chapter 98, I think, of the uh, Kaviyosh, or if you're into that, 96. And he says that um, th- the Hanukkah miracle happened to the marshal. Uh, at least that's how he understands it, from the Hagdama the Amsho Shlomo, that, uh, you know, I'll read it over here, it's So funny. I just uh, thought this at the time I had happened to have the book the Kabi on my desk, uh, not that I usually do. And uh, he says <laughs> says that one time he hints to Marshall and he says through a near mitra, I got like a sign from heaven. That they are confirming and and, and valorizing uh, what I'm doing here in the Yamsho Slama. and what does that mean? And the author of the Kavayasha, who lived uh, in the 1600s, meaning i we have this uh, tradition that the shot with him is that Shaliylo uh, Rakneir Karten Bedolka of when he was writing the Yamsho Shlomo he was late at night, I remember there was no electric lights, they lighting by the candle. So there was only enough oil in the candle, let's say for an hour, and the candle burned for seven hours. Or whatever. Meaning he had a Hanukkah miracle, which he took as a sign. I don't know if this story is true or not, but I'm telling you, this is the story that was running around in the 1600s. And, uh, and, uh, what do you call it? He could tell, what's the right word, uh, that this is a uh, nace, that the uh, they're agreeing, keep, keep going, uh, keep it up, baby, you know, uh, and, and, and keep writing the safer. Which is just a very interesting connection between Marshal on the one hand and the Miracle of Hanag on the other. There's only uh, one... And there's endless. You know, you could talk about him forever. By the way, he had several daughters. One of his daughters' name is Valentina. <laughs> uh, we know this. Now, you don't see too many girls... Say, you know, Valentine, Valentina's Day. You know, nowadays they make a big deal. You should have a Hebrew name, you should have a biblical name, all the rest of it. I've heard this also. But a lot of the famous rabbis of the past didn't have daughters, or sometimes sons even... With your typical biblical names. Valentina ain't a typical name. But anyway, uh, I would only say one last point, because then I gotta go. I'm, I'm gonna be late. And that is that uh, Hidal brings a very famous uh, fact, which goes as follows The Marshal was self aware. He knew that he had a strong temper, and he knew, but he's a real from guy, you know, real righteous. And so he knew that he had issues with his uh, temper and anger management and all the rest of it. And so he hired a full-time personal trainer in Tochacha, a mochiach. And basically he said, once a week or something like that, let's get together and you tell me what I did wrong this week. You follow me around and when you see I was too arrogant or too, uh, um, have too much of a temper or too much this or that or not enough that, uh, you know, keep record of it and once a week, rank me out. I think if I remember correctly, I don't have it in front of me in the Chidol, He says that they would go in a room, and the marshal would put a talus over his head, and then the other guy would come in and really blast him, and uh, and that's what he paid him for. Okay, you should look in the look in the uh, in the over there in the you know the Sheh-Makdon. He says something like "Ashreiach kehilah sharavka." Happy, the community has somebody like that as a who's aware of his own uh, uh, faults and undertakes to try to reform them by having somebody, you know, give it to him straight. You know I'm saying? Give it to him straight. Which means that he had enough of a self-esteem that he could handle heavy criticism. He welcomed it. Or they say, oh, heves is a Muslim. What's the expression? Oh, chachas" hey, is one of the way of acquiring the Torah. You have to be willing to, uh, to you have to like being criticized, constructively criticized, constructive criticism, uh, which a lot of people don't have. So uh, you end up with a very, very interesting personality, but the time is up, I gotta go.